How do the best data scientists in the world master their datasets, train their machine learning models, and climb the data science ladder? Let's ask them. My name's Jeremy, and this is the Towards Data Science Podcast. what institution you're coming from, you can get access to the very latest research. We also have to make sure that we're constantly revisiting our foundations and justifying why we're using the methods we are. It's hard not to employ you. Like, it doesn't matter what field you're in or what is it that you're good at. If you're good at something, if you like something with passion, there is someone who really, really needs you. Welcome, welcome, citizens of the internet. This is the Towards Data Science Podcast. My name's Jeremy, and as usual, I'm here with Russell Polari, who, like me, is part of the team behind the Sharpest Minds Data Science Mentorship Program. Um, today is going to be a blast, because we're talking to Rocio Ng, who's a data scientist who made a, a pretty rare transition, actually, from biology. She did a biology PhD uh, and then transitioned into data science, but not into data science at just any company. She actually now works at LinkedIn, where she has a very business-focused role that involves setting team objectives, collaborating with product managers, and a ton of other really cool stuff. Um, so let's dive into it now. Hi, Rocio. Thanks so much for hopping on. Thanks for having me. So we usually like to start with a little bit of career context. Um, so would you mind walking us through how you, where you went to school and how that led you to data science and then ultimately how you ended up uh, doing data science at LinkedIn? So I did my PhD at Stony Brook University in ecology and evolution. Prior to that, I was a bio major. So that transition was pretty natural, yeah. um, you know, aside from adjusting to being a graduate student and working on a thesis. Um, but th throughout the process, I just like many others in my situation have started evaluating like what my career prospects were going to be after I finished and got my PhD. Because typically what people do, as you know, um, they, they go for a postdoc, they do that for a number of years and then, you know, hope to get a tenure track position somewhere or they might um, diverge and do something else. Um, my department, we ecology evolution, there's a lot of applied people that come from there, so they might end up working conservation and things like that. Some of them actually get really into teaching and kind of pursue that route and more at a teaching university or they, you know, I, there was someone who went to high school afterwards. So it was, you know, like some exploration there and I was doing kind of similarly like the same. Um, it's, a, it's sort of and, a world of plan Bs. Yeah, and just like, and then a lot of constantly evaluating if academia was for me, and yeah. I kind of felt more and more that I wasn't sure, just one, just because of like, it was just really competitive, and even like I can work really, really hard and um, you know, do good work, but still not succeed, and that's, you know, really, it's really scary, and also like, um, you know, after eight, it took me eight years to get my PhD. After all that time, it's just like, do I want to do a postdoc? Do I want to kind of stay in this kind of lifestyle and just kind of constant like lack of security for another four plus years? Um, yeah. I didn't know yeah. if that was the right thing. So I explored other things. Um, and what contributed to a lot of that was um, at 
there was some point in my dissertation I stopped collecting data and then I was like, okay, now I have to analyze it. What I do, some of the tools I didn't really like that we had available. Then I started exploring this thing called R, like, oh, some a few people in the department were using it. It's really different now, everybody learns it, but at the time there was a small number of people using R and I started learning it on my own. There was this is when Coursera was starting up, and there was a few courses. I took one of the first art courses they ever offered, so it was a bit challenging, but I got through it, and it, and then, I don't know, just suddenly this spark just hit, like, I found I really enjoyed, like, programming. I really enjoyed kind of using the principles of, like, reproducibility and pipelines kind of process my data. It came in handy a lot of times. So sometimes I have to go back and redo something and I could just run some code um, and I'll have things ready to go instead of paste, copying, pasting in Excel and things mm -hmm. like and reformatting as like people would do. And then I was like, oh, you know, what else can I learn? And I, and I took Python courses. I started learning Python and getting really into it. And I'm like, I know it's crazy because like I've explored programming in past in college, with very little success, but this time was different. And um, it's a little different too yeah. when you actually have like a concrete goal. Like I, I feel like yeah. you know I've I've done programming courses or I did some in undergrad, and like yeah. this open ended like now let's learn how to do a for loop and so on. Whereas when you're actually importing data and doing stuff to it, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I you know I then I. I got much more into statistics as well. Um, there was like a, a, a non-parametric seminar that I took. It was really challenging. It was an R as well. It was, uh, really intimidating, but then I started learning a lot and like getting simulations going and things like that. And I found like, wow, yeah, I really love this stuff. And so I started exploring a lot of different things, more tech. So I looked at being, you know, web development, software engineering, and then like this, you know, data science thing was starting to, you know, come about. I mean, this was like five years ago. No, like five or six years ago. So the Wild really West. Yeah. And I found out about this thing called data science and these fellowships um, that like train PhDs to become data scientists. And I'm like, oh, that seems really cool. And like, I looked at it, oh, you get to program, you get to analyze data, and there's jobs. <laughs> so I was like, well, maybe it, this is worth exploring. So then um, then I actually, yeah, applied to one of these fellowships. I made it past like the first round, um, which made me feel that, oh, maybe I'm not completely over my head here. Yeah. And yeah. so I spent like kind of the next year kind of finishing up my work, learning more. I was still taking more courses on Coursera, just like more data science courses, because like doing this stuff for like scientific research is really different for than, you know, doing stuff for like business purposes or like, you know, like a data science project where you're working, especially when you're working with data you haven't collected yourself. It's really, really different. Um, so I was kind of learning all that. And then I was still applying to postdocs, I was applying to everything. Um, I defended my dissertation, still had these open questions. Um, it took a while to graduate and I, you know, and then, um, but I was still like, I was spending a lot of time just in coffee shops and things, just continuing to take courses. It, this wasn't something that happened overnight. Um, mm -hmm. And I did some projects and stuff like that. And then, um, then I tried applying to these programs again. So like, this was like, 
early 2015. Yeah, I was, I did some traveling too. I moved, had to move back home. It was a very crazy time for me. And then, um, then, I, you know, I applied to Inside Data Science, which mm -hmm. was one of the programs and then got accepted and um, as, uh, as well as another one in Europe, but decided I wanted to go to Silicon Valley and try this thing out just because of the opportunities out here. Like tech was yeah. really strong. Um, I mean, I could have done it in New York, but I wanted to like, I'm from go New big. York. So, um, I wanted to like experience something new. So then I did that, um, just a leap of faith. <laughs> just what were, what were some of the biggest differences or, or let's say uh, gaps that you, you had being a self-taught person, especially back in 2015? Because I think yeah. the, MOOC, the MOOC landscape was a little bit different back then. But it was. Um, what, were, what were the biggest gaps that uh, Insight helped fill? Uh, so I would say some of the biggest ones was just like kind of building. So one of the things that, that you do in the program is you build a fully functional data product from start to finish. Mm -hmm. um, so including getting the data, doing some exploratory analysis on it, and then determining like what kind of data product you're going to build. I mean, actually, yeah, you probably that's probably more you start at what data product you want to build and then like figure out what data you want to do and things like that. So that was kind of the biggest thing because I never really did that before. Most of my projects before then were like analysis and stuff. Like one thing I did was like I dug up subway data and I did a lot of cleaning on it to kind of look at usage patterns over time and stuff like that. But in the, um, in the program itself, I actually built a fully functional app where you can import um, an image of artwork you like, and then it returns closest matches um, oh, nice. from nice. artwork that I data mined from Tumblr. So, I and I've never done like computer vision before. I've never built a backend database and all this stuff. And um, yeah, so like it, it got me from nothing to a fully functional data product within, I think we built it in like three weeks. So it's pretty intense. And then the other thing, the other gaps that were really important was just kind of understanding like how data science is used in industry. Um, so like um, teams from Facebook, LinkedIn, Airbnb, and startups from, you know, a whole landscape of different fields come and visit and they present on like what their team is working on. and the tools that they're using and the types of problems they're working on. So it really gives you a good idea of like how data science is used in the wild. Cause that for me was just like a big question mark. You kind of knew, okay, people analyze data, you know, there's some AI and things like that. Stuff that gets thrown out in popular media, but you really don't understand like the meat of what people are doing until you actually like talk and engage with actual data scientists. So that was, another huge thing as well that was really helpful. What were some things that um, maybe surprised you or are conceptions that maybe changed uh, about how data science is done in the real world once you once you got that exposure? I think one of the things that surprises me and like still recently is just like how there really isn't one way or standard ways to do a lot of things. Because you see that even just like works streams or like working pipelines, everyone does things differently, how they ingest their data, how they do processing, the types of tools they use, the types of models they might implement. I mean, there is some consistency in terms of like, okay, like, you know, there's ETL and things like that, but like every 
um, company does it a different way. And then there's like a lot of not really perfect ways to do it. Um, but there, maybe there isn't like the, a best way. Like even at LinkedIn, we suffer from like, we have such a big infrastructure and we have solutions and stuff that we implement but like you still run into tooling issues and things like that um so that i think that was one of the big surprises i thought like oh everything's figured out and it's clean you can just go in and get the data you need and then like run whatever analysis or modeling you have to do but it's not that simple you spend a lot of time just trying to get the data you need I think that was one of the biggest um, surprises for me because um, I just assumed coming from academia where everything's kind of a mess, like things would be a little bit um, more defined in uh, industry, but not necessarily so. Did the did you find the tools themselves change too? Because like between, I guess, the time that you did Insight, then you went through, I guess you went through Schooled, and I think there might have been one other company, and, and then you got to LinkedIn. So you, you've seen three different companies from the inside and across a time when the field of data science itself has changed so much. Like, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the industry between the beginning of your journey and now? Um, so I would say probably one of the biggest things that I've kind of gotten to experience more firsthand is the evolution of like Spark and how Spark is being used across industry. So when, um, I think like when I was in Insight, it was a lot of talk was about like Hadoop and all those other Apache products and Hive and Pig for processing mm -hmm. data. And of course, you know, very, I mean, I wasn't super knowledgeable on what all that was at the time. And then when I went to my startup, um, I actually started doing some research into those tools and what would work for us. We had like I would say more of a medium data problem where like things could only they, we were post, putting things in Postgres and like things were getting too big but we it turned out we weren't quite big enough for dupe and then then like you know started learning about spark I mean I've heard the term before and at the time like um, we were able to I was able to convince the company to buy a subscription to Databricks so we started using that and even then like between the, the entire time I was using it, seeing how the language evolved in different versions um, has changed a lot. The machine learning tools have evolved a lot. And um, I think adoption is kind of grown. Like, so at LinkedIn, we are now like just starting to use Spark across the data science team. And it's kind of like this effort to like get people to learn the tools and things like that. So that's where I, like I've had a little bit of an advantage since I've came in already with some working knowledge of how it works and things like that. So that's been one of the biggest, like I think, tooling changes. Um, and we're also like, I mean, I think it used to be, at LinkedIn it used to be primarily like Pig and Hive. I mean, we still use Hive, but like um, nobody codes yeah. anymore. Um, well, so yeah. It, so it, I, this is kind of really interesting because it mirrors some of the shifts that it seems the market's going towards um, as well in terms of data scientists becoming more and more in some way more in some ways more and more like engineers where a lot of the engineering like now it's time to really make the rubber meet the road and serve people at scale and so on um, and yet one of the things I think I've noticed with people who are trying to break in is they're still kind of learning the basic tools like scikit-learn, pandas, Jupyter notebooks um, very few people start learning Spark when they're trying to break in do you think that Spark is something that people should pick up before they enter industry, or is that something you can learn kind of on the fly? 
Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a requirement because not every company is necessarily using those tools. And so I would say that, I mean, if you're going to be smart about hiring, you should be a little bit agnostic to like the tools that people are coming in with because you're going to have different backgrounds. I think what's the most important thing and actually often overlooked, in my opinion, is just rather than understanding the tools, it's like, okay, you have some, you, well, you should be able to program comfortably in one tool or technology or whatever, but be able to like work end to end very effectively like one from understanding the questions that you know you need to answer the problem scope scoping a problem with your partners and things like that to mm -hmm. gathering the data you need to exploring that data to doing the understanding what processing needs to happen and how would you do that no matter what language the process is going to be similar um whether you're building models or doing an analysis you still have to do like you know, you're going to have to put data together, you're going to have to build features, you're going to have to like understand, do some exploration, and then build, you know, out the rest, right? So I think being able to do that from end to end is going to take you a lot farther um, than being able to like, okay, I'm really, I know how to code in all this, all yeah. these different languages effectively. I mean, one thing that's common, I mean, I think SQL is probably the, like if you're going to learn a language and get good at it, it's probably going to be SQL because no matter what, you're going to have to use SQL unless you're like a pure machine learning engineer, maybe that's just productionizing code. But still, like even then, they probably will be SQL or um, even like if you're doing any kind of ETL work, like you're yeah. still gonna have to apply SQL principles in some way, like joins and aggregations and things like that. So what, what I find really interesting about that answer, and it, it kind of like, I feel like every time I talk to somebody who's like in data science, and they really know what they're doing like you, the, the answer is sort of similar. They'll say like, hey guys, there's a, there's a lot of focus going on right now on the Python, on the modeling, like we're getting really excited about this, but like at the end of the day, you need that business context. You need the ability to contextualize a problem, like talk to talk to people in the know, and and so on. Um, is that something like when you? Um, I guess do you do some interviewing at uh, at LinkedIn as well? Yeah, I haven't done any on-site interviews. I've done a lot of phone screens at this point. You know, they okay. try to like, ramp you up so you're not like thrown into things. I've been here about a a year and a few months now, so. Oh, cool. Okay, and, is, yep. <laughs> and, and those phone screens, are they usually more technical or do they tend to lean a little bit on the business side? So it, um, actually both. So the, our, one of our phone screens focuses more on technical skills and the other one focuses more on problem solving. So yeah, I've done a bit of both. Kind of makes sense. You need to be able to implement stuff, but also know, you're, know why you're doing it. Um, yeah. And, and what are like the, the technical requirements? Like w when you guys screen people in, like if you had a technical phone screen with someone to the extent that you can talk about it, uh, what are the sorts of things that tend to tell you, oh, this person's a really competent like data scientist? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it really stems down to like um, be able to communicate one and then be able to break the problem down. I think one of the biggest mistakes I've seen, and not even at LinkedIn, I, I also do mock interviews with like insight fellows and mentees um, is just people just want to dive into the problem right away 
they don't ask questions, they don't scope things with you, and then they try to solve the entire, and I've done, I've been guilty of this myself, mm -hmm. just trying to solve the entire problem at once, rather than breaking it down and being like, okay, this is step, what do I need to get to that point? I need to do this first, and this first, and this first, and then going through each step. Um, that's one of the biggest things I see. And if someone doesn't kind of start doing that, they tend to kind of struggle like yeah. if you don't start doing it immediately, I notice people will struggle through the rest of the interview. But then when someone's like starts off really strongly and they're like, okay, well, you know, here are questions. I want to make sure we're on the same page. Okay, here are the steps I would do, and they outline your steps and their techniques. You know, I have no idea what their technical skills are at that point, but you know, they tend to do very well. Yeah. Well, and it kind of makes sense. Like I, um, every time I talk to people who are kind of looking to break in, um, this is sort of one of the things that that comes to mind is this adversarial mindset that a lot of people have when it comes to interviewing they tend to view it as like it's me versus the interviewer and there's a sense in which like i've got to trick them into thinking that my technical skills are a 10 when deep down inside i'm worried they might be a six and so like a ton of that dance is involved in like hiding that or concealing it so you're you're not inclined to just engage in a casual conversation where you're both collaboratively solving a problem I feel like that that holds a lot of people back at least. Yeah, no, I, I would tend to agree. Like you get into your own head that way and then you feel like, okay, well I need to, yeah. Or they, they'll they try to have some kind of programmatic way to solve things and they're like, I'm just gonna do this and this. Um, but instead of like trying to like get feedback from you and things like that. I mean, I've noticed when I was doing my last round of interviews that Things started going better once I engaged with my interviewer and then, you know, make sure like they understand what I'm saying, like giving time to like let them absorb as well. Um, yeah. Rather than trying to, you know, dive into things and feel like I have to solve this as quickly as possible. Like kind of embracing the human to human interaction side of things. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so now, like, actually, one, um, now we're on the, the technical track here. One question that does come up a lot, and this is something we've actually asked a couple of people, I've always been surprised by the answer. Um, the models that you guys use, like at LinkedIn, you guys have massive data sets, I'm sure. Uh, you have a lot of my data and a lot of Russell's data. Um, so the models you built to analyze that data, do they tend to be uh, more complex or simpler? So um, it really depends on the team. So the way data science is done at LinkedIn, we kind of break things up into like, we have our data science team focuses more on like the product business side, doing a lot more analytics driven work. And then we have an AI team and that's more the machine learning side of things. Mm -hmm. um, on our side, if we do modeling, it really varies um, depending on what the deliverable is. So like say, you know, if it's something that is going to be something that stakeholders and business partners consume, then you have to like kind of create something that's both like incredibly interpretable and easy to use, but also scientific. So there's a bit of a balancing act there. So what you might do is like have some kind of like, um, I don't know, maybe more complex uh, method behind it but then when you present it or you kind of come up with some like rule-based model that's just almost as good, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, if it's something that's going to be 
kind of a bit more, I don't want to say black box, but something where like, okay, um, stakeholders might just get the output, like if it's like a lead gen score or something like that, and they don't necessarily need to know the details, then it might be more complex. But, you know, still, no matter what, like if, if it's in that case and it's going to be productionized, it still has to be scalable. So mm. for that purposes, things tend to be simpler. Um, so you got the, like the classic interpretability kind of performance trade-off, is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's along the same. Usually more interpretable, model, more interpretable models are going to be simpler and scalable. So like, I think a trade-off is just like how robust and scientific it will be or how accurate it will be. So you get that trade-off there. But then, you know, like depending on the business use case, like it might be worth the trade-off to get that, you know, out and consumable. Um, and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And what are some of the then the, the big initiatives that you're pushing forward? Because I know earlier we were talking about this. You mentioned that you guys are in the middle of a big push. Can you t tell us a little bit about that? Um, so about the big product launch, you mean? Uh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah. So we're in the so LinkedIn Talent Solutions is in the middle of launching um, one of our biggest products. Um, so. We have a, a product called Recruiter, which is on LinkedIn Talent Solutions, and right now that's migrating over to a new platform. So we're kind of building this new, like, integrated experience for sourcing talent. So right now we have an applicant tracking system that we've launched, and everything's going to kind of go together, and Recruiter's being migrated. So I'm working on that right now. I mean, one of the things that I did push for related to that was this dashboard that I launched um, yesterday to allow visibility into a lot of the metrics, but more at a granular level because we have some tooling and things that doesn't allow us that are more scalable, but not necessarily allow us to get at the granularity we need. So I actually like build a prototype during like a hack day project that we have. We have these um, really. But like once a month, we do these things called in days where you kind of get to work either on your personal projects or there's workshops and things like that. And some, a lot of times they have hack days. So I built a prototype um, of this dashboard and then um, got my manager and product managers on board to build a finished version of that. Um, and one thing that's really cool about it is that um, you know, prior to the dashboard, in order to get visibility in a lot of things, I had to do a lot of ad hoc data pulls, a lot of manual work, and this will save a lot of effort <laughs> from me, um, especially when I can like, you know, instead of people asking me questions or want get access to the data, they can go to the dashboard and access it themselves. <laughs> One of the really interesting things about this that I think a lot of people might be surprised by is how important that interaction is between like a data scientist and then the product manager. Like you're basically helping them to come up with the key metrics that the entire business is going to is going to run based on. Um, how, how do those interactions usually go? Like can you can you dig into that a little bit? Yeah, um, so I would probably varies across because everybody works differently, but it tends to, so we, I guess, generally are encouraged to like pursue our relationships with PMs. It's more of a thought partnership because I think a lot of the, um, 
DS folks here might fall into the trap where it's kind of more like a reactive relationship where like the PM asks for something and then you try and um, satisfy that where ideally it should be like a back and forth where they come up with ideas, you come up with ideas and you work on stuff together in terms of like determining what projects and things to work on. So like, I mean, that has happened in the past where um, I've had interest in like understanding like like the new user experience and recruiter and things like that. And my product manager's been interested in that as well. And he, he's trying to push product changes there. And so it was kind of like this back and forth was like, okay, what would be useful to know and things like that. Um, but a lot of it is also laying on me to understand, you know, like come up with the right questions and things like that. So it's just kind of like a back and forth and getting feedback. When it comes to things like metrics, it's similar. Like sometimes they'll be like, oh, I want to know this and this and this. And so th there's also a balancing act there as like feasibility and effort and things like that. So you like, you do also have to practice like pushing back and managing expectations. I think that's yeah, one of the yeah. biggest challenges for probably anybody who's a data scientist working with a product manager is able to like say no and um, effectively and um, like really challenge them to uh, understand like okay is this something that's really needed uh, well, how is this going to push the business forward or is this just something you're interested in because it's going to take this amount of effort that sort of thing so and also like managing timelines because they don't, some of them are very, like some of them here are very technical. They work with engineers, they understand that there's effort needed, but sometimes it's still, it's still a big black box for them. So yeah. I be able to communicate like, hey, we're like, we're not able to meet deadlines because of X, Y, and Z. And like be able to communicate that effectively. Because if you're not very clear with them, they just assume, they might assume things are fine. And, um, and then when something breaks or timelines are pushed, then they're surprised and or you know, they um, you know yeah then taking taking it back or whatever yeah fall apart. yeah well, it's sort of one of the interesting things about the, that data science role, and, and this is the first time we've di kind of dived into the interaction with the, the product manager, but there's kind of this, this interesting like dual life, it seems, that data scientists live where you're, you're one part there to provide insights that help steer the ship and determine like what should we build next, but then you're also one part, like one foot in the implementation side, like we need to build this thing or, or we need to make a, an analytics product. Um, do, you, do you find yourself sort of in, in both camps at different times, uh, different times of the day sometimes? Oh yeah, and, and sometimes in other areas, like, I mean, I find myself playing like kind of project manager a little bit because um, like, for, like for metrics, for instance, it's a partnership between you and PMs and um, engineering and everyone owns different parts of it. So. Um, it's important to be effective there in terms of like, okay, um, like PMs have to make sure that they do their tracking specs and things like that. And they work, they work with you to like identify the proper metrics and then have to communicate that with engineering mm -hmm. and make sure engineering does implementation and then the validation and that sort of thing. And then we kind of own like building the metrics, we have a system for productionizing metrics, so we have to do that. So 
that's been a bit of like, yeah, I'm having to just kind of check up and adjust timelines or communicate timelines. We also have like program managers we work with too, but you're still, you're still kind of doing kind of a bit of everything. Um, it's no amazing. matter what. It's yeah. amazing how much human stuff there is in all these technical roles. Um, so, okay, one question I have then, given that you're working at LinkedIn, I mean, this really is, it's the cutting edge of data science and analytics in, in the real world. Um, where, do you, like, where do you see the data science role evolving? Like, I'm sure by now you've sort of seen it change a little bit over time. Um, where, where do you see things going next? And then maybe if you can also answer, like, what would you do if you were trying to break into the field today? What would be some of the key things you would do to respond to that? I know this is asking a lot, but any thoughts you have would be, would be great. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that one's really hard to say because I think um, there's generally a lot of talk and about and schools of thought in terms of like data science becoming more specialized in a sense and i'm see i'm seeing that happen here as well where like before data scientists were kind of expected to be these unicorns that did a little bit of everything statistics modeling machine learning engineering etc and the trend being more towards okay like People who are focused more on machine learning, people focus more on the engineering part or scaling, and then there's you know there's data engineering which I won't really touch on because that's its own thing, um, and then like the more products, business analytics, experimentation side of things, right? And then like there's also like you know data scientists who also work on more horizontally on tooling and like or maybe more the R&D aspects of that, either like coming up with ways to implement new types of models or improving experimentation tools, that sort of thing, right? So I think, you know, there's this trend now towards things becoming more specialized. Um, I'm seeing that happen at bigger companies. Like, I mean, we're starting, like we already have our split between data science and AI, and then within mm -hmm. data science, we're trying to like introduce like kind of different areas of specialty as well and I've noticed like companies like Airbnb like they have like different tracks they've identified um, I think Lyft has done that too now they have like uh, data scientists focus more on product side and then they have like their data engineers rather than I think it used to be kind of more generalist um, I don't know if that's like still gonna necessarily true at smaller places though so like I mean Back at my startup, I was one of two data scientists for a bit, and then the only data scientist, and I was kind of doing a little bit of everything. Um, and then even at medium-sized companies, you might find yourself doing a lot of foundational work, maybe some modeling, maybe some analysis, depending on what the needs are. Um, and then maybe if there's even a growing team, you still might be a little bit more specialized. Um, so I'm kind of seeing that trend evolve, um, and I would say for like people trying to break in, like I don't know. I think I think there's a lot of different schools of thought on this, but I feel like for your like first job, like try not to get bogged down in all those details. And I think because I think people mm. tend to fall in the trap where like oh, well, I have to decide now because, like, once I get my first job, I'm going to get locked into, like, you know, this kind of track. Right. Like, if I get more of a... 
analytics role and uh, what if I want to do machine learning later on and then you know etc like you can't necessarily move back and forth and I don't think that's necessarily true um, I think um, it helps to like have like an open mind in the beginning explore different things mm -hmm. like I definitely I did this more when I was early in my career like go and like go to meetups go to workshops go to things see how different teams are doing stuff different how people are working on different problems the types of stuff they're doing the types you know applied work whatever you know are they applying more statistics in their approach more like linear algebra whatever and like see what speaks to you like what interests you right and then like start to explore that area a little bit more because like i don't know like you're gonna you're gonna find an easier time learning and growing in something that excites you and once you do that, like find those roles that will kind of allow you to explore those areas more or, you know, give you the chance to like possibly learn in other areas. A lot of, um, there's still a lot of teams that let you like, move, like in, in LinkedIn, people move internally all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and then you get your first job, you start doing things, you start maybe you start specializing areas, start exploring different things. And I think you start to have a better idea of like the type of data scientist you want to be. That's definitely true for me. Like am I, and when I came from inside, I was like, oh, I, you know, like, oh, machine learning is really cool because I've never really done it before. And I started thinking about that. And then at my last company, I did a little bit of everything. I did some I built some of our pipelines, I did some modeling work, I did some analytics, but then I started like, I think, I don't know, the last several months in started feeling like um, I really liked the part where I got more involved in like kind of the business side of things and kind of like defining like a framework for how the company was going to use analytics to drive product decisions and that sort of stuff. But then things didn't work out, you know, with the startup and um, and so I, there was kind of this hole there because I didn't really get to fully explore it. And so when I did my last search, I kind of still kind of tried a little bit of everything. But then I, once I really, a lot of like you know, like internal reflection, realized yeah. I really liked the product stuff and I started going more for those product roles. I was succeeding and I was really like clicking with the problem sets, the types of interview questions I was getting and so on and the teams. So I kind of like, kind of started progressing more in that area, and that's where I am now. But still, like you know, still figuring things out. Um, Sounds like um, your career has kind of progressed from from generalist to to specialist. Yeah, it's it's more focused than it was in the beginning. But I I feel like I don't feel like I necessarily am trapped in this area. Like I could go and explore other things. It's just you know, like I. I'm following kind of the path in which I find things that are interesting, but also good for the business. It's still like, it's still a balancing act. I, I really like that advice. Um, and I think it's the first time we've really ever heard it, but it, it, in a way, I think it's the most important advice. It's like, it's more important to just get in and start experiencing what, what life is like inside a business context when you're working with data so you can see what the options are um, rather than, yeah. Yeah, because you don't really know until you try, and then, like, if you're really, I think, if you decide, oh, I want to, I really want to do deep learning, and that's all you do, and then, I don't know, you might be closing off possible options that might still be interesting to you, 
than, um, and, you know, or you might get a role like that and find you don't like it, right? And that's fine too, but like, I don't know, I think just trying to keep an open mind in the beginning, because like, there's a lot of buzz, you know, around certain things and certain topics, and I've seen it a lot. I've seen a lot of, like, I've interviewed people that really, like, were into what's hot and, like, based on oh, what's popular. <laughs> yeah, like, in the news and things like that, because that's all they know, and they don't know, you know, what it's actually like. Um, Would you mind kind of elaborating on that? Because I think, um, the reason I think this is so interesting is I suspect there are a good number of people out there who might be in that position but might not realize it. Um, what are some of the the tells that maybe you're you know like you're chasing the chasing the data science brand because it's a hot thing um, rather than sort of being intrinsically excited? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, like you know, you can you might see that in the resume where they're like um, a. A lot of their projects are just kind of like building these black box like models that kind of work or um, or stuff that's really trendy like I don't know like I mean say like image recognition for instance like they built something that you know could recognize something you know something on a shelf whatever but then like you know that problem it's a solved problem um and so like it's kind of something a lot of people could do you just follow instructions like for me personally what would be more what's more um useful is just like okay well if you're gonna do that like find an interesting application or maybe find like a, a way to like um leverage that in a situation that hasn't been done before and a lot of that is just like getting creative with the data and the data collection and that sort of thing so um yeah, a lot of times you might you might see like you know that's a lot of their projects, um, they, or they just build something for the sake of building it uh, instead of like okay identifying like a specific use case for it. Um, that's going to be provide some business value to somebody. That's actually another thing that like Insight taught me is like they'll just do something because it's interesting or. Yeah. Um, you know, cool, but it's something that's actually going to provide some actual value. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to like make money or anything, but just like, if, like identify like a pain point that people have, and then using machine learning analysis, whatever, to solve that. Um, that I don't see as often. Um, yeah. Rather, you see more the former, like, oh, I built this and I've done this, and yeah. yeah. I build a classifier with like an ROC curve of this, but like you know, you can. You can do that after you know keep trying and like playing around and tweaking things, but that's you know, um, that doesn't really show a true understanding of the underlying data. It say. kind of plays into what you were talking about earlier too, where it's like most of your job is about like setting out business priorities and like coming up with the right metrics and all that stuff. When somebody just says, you know. I'll, I'll grab a proverbial uh, Kaggle competition off the shelf or something, and they're given a loss function to optimize. It's like, yeah, you are like, are you really learning how to work with data? Like, you're learning how to play with it, you're learning how to model it, but that might not translate into day-to-day uh, -day business stuff. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Any final thoughts on like what skills are you looking to build right now? Like, what are the main areas that you're focusing on your your own professional development? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. Well, right now, um, I'm trying, I've noticed, even though I've like, I have a lot of experience with data and analyzing data and things like that. And, um, I think 
one thing that I've been developing at since I started LinkedIn and still am is just kind of like how do you t tell an effective story with data? And it sounds like very simple, right? But then like if you have a really open question, like you know, like for instances like how can we improve experience in, you know, in a product, right? If you have an open question like that, getting at like, okay, what data you use, what questions you answer, how would you present that in a way to like business partners that they're gonna like get, we call it here like the so what of it, right? Yeah. You might say, okay, our users come in and they do this X, Y, and Z, right? But then you have to be able to turn that into something of business value. Like, okay, what specific recommendations can you derive from that? And tell me, like, in plain English and use a visualization. Okay, if you were to do this, then you would get, you know, this is the impact that you would impart. And so, like, getting from a raw bunch of usage data to something that's actionable right. and communicating the actionability effectively, but not just that within the context of, you know, a story and not just like, okay, here's one insight, one recommendation, but like building a whole story around it. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot harder than it sounds. And that's been one of the things that I've been focusing a lot on um, getting better at. Um, that's more on the business side. More technical side is, you know, I mentioned, I talked about like Spark and things like that. I primarily have coded in, Py, you know, PySpark. And so right now I'm trying to learn Scala and um, so that I can build faster applications and like analysis in, in Spark. Um, sometimes you have to run jobs and things that would take a lot longer in PySpark because of that extra layer in of you know, and uh, yeah, so that's that's more, that's the technical skills that I'm trying to to develop right now. Well, very yeah. cool. I, I think this has been just a hugely valuable exploration of like what it's like to to be a data scientist, but also to see through your eyes all these problems that you're facing. Really, uh, really enjoyed this. Okay, great. <laughs> Thanks for having me.